Hey friends, I have a fun surprise for you or maybe for someone you know and love. We are launching Project Honeymoon. What's that? We have decided to give away as a wedding gift the First Year Married online course to anyone within their first six months of marriage. How to Glow is our business, but it's also our mission. Our mission to support strong, happy Jewish homes from the very beginning. And to do that, we want to get this material into the hands of every newlywed. So start thinking about if this is for you or if you know a newlywed or someone getting married soon so you can share it with them. They'll send in a photo or you'll send in a photo of your wedding invitation. You'll include the date and we will get you access. All the details are at kaylalevin.com forward slash newlywed. No gimmicks, no credit cards, just access to a best-selling, life-changing course and our biggest, warmest mazel tov. By the way, if you are past six months, you can still access a full course plus coaching and support from me inside the How to Glow coaching community for only $39 a month. Okay, so please send along the link, kaylalevin.com forward slash newlywed to your groups, friends, whatever, so we can get the word out. Thanks so much. Episode 153, The Dreaded Housework Summer Series Replay. Welcome to How to Glow, where we get real about building the marriage of your dreams. I'm certified coach Kayla Levin, and I help married Jewish women go from surviving and overwhelmed to thriving and connected through practical tips, real life inspiration, and more than a little self-awareness along the way. Hello, ladies. Long time no speak. We have been away working on creating something brand new, which is a person. (laughs) We had a baby boy this summer. And that is why I have been MIA. And on top of that, um, I had this idea, which I really think I should do every summer because for summers, just, I feel like are just such a great time for this, which is to go back. I wanted to go back. I asked the women inside of my how to glow coaching community about their absolute favorite episodes. The ones that they go back to the ones that they use those tools. And I said, I want to just do like a best of series during the summer because these tools, you listen to them the second time, you get to use them even better. And a lot of you haven't had a chance to go back. And instead of having to go back, let's just bring you the best ones that we've got. So I had in mind to do this over the course of the summer. It's perfect timing because I was going to be on maternity leave and I recorded my intro and I recorded my episodes my microphone wasn't working. I found out. So <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks since we, you know, have established ourselves enough to get back and get this going. And honestly, to anyone out there who has a baby and pushes themselves to rush back, please let this be a model to you that just take the time that you need. Okay. So the first one we're going to be replaying for you is the dreaded housework. Enjoy. Welcome back, ladies. I had such a great time hearing from you this week on Instagram. I posted to my stories that I wanted to hear from you about what was the most frustrating, upsetting place or thing going on with you and your housework. And there are some angry ladies out there, and I totally get it. If you followed my story, you know that this was really a sore point for me earlier on in our marriage, and I can tell you This is an area where I have seen such profound and unbelievable transformation to the point where when I hear people being frustrated, like it, it makes me just want to give them my class, you know, Um, because this is, this is one of those areas where for me, it was just such a massive paradigm shift and I'm so excited to share it with you today. So there's a couple different things that I want to discuss when it comes to housework and frustration, but let me start with sort of the problem, what people are seeing. It sort of seems to come from a different couple different tracks. One is the idea of him helping. We both live here. Why is it called he's helping me if he's washing the dishes? He ate on them too, right? We, we all need to pitch in. Why, why this whole concept of like he's helping me out with this, right? Because that in itself is so frustrating. It's almost like, why, why does it have to be called helping? Like, I don't want to use my points on that. You know, <laughs> let me use my points on something I actually want. He should just do it. That should just be his responsibility just as much as it is mine, right? This is the 20th century. 21st? What century? 21st century. <laughs> I had a lot of coffee before I recorded, so I hope this isn't just going to be totally off the rails. Okay, 
we live in modern times and men and women both contribute we both help this is not a traditional you know old-fashioned marriage so what is this whole deal with helping it's sort of inherently offensive it's it it feels so wrong and and really offensive it it really gets us riled up it makes us feel angry so that is one area another one is the why do i have to tell him which kind of comes from a similar track right like, why do I have to say to him to take out the garbage? Why do I have to ask him to help clean up? I shouldn't have to do that. He should just clean. Now, some of you are saying to me or listening to this and thinking, I don't really get it. My husband's neater than I am. Of course, these things were speaking in generalities. And sometimes you'll see that the husband is more one way, the wife is more the other. I do still want you to listen to this episode because it's possible that what he is is so... I almost want to use the word like trained to a certain expectation that you actually might be missing out on more. So if he grew up in a home that was extremely orderly and he was really expected to toe the line on that, then this could be an area in which you can actually have a pretty awesome connection by understanding it more deeply. Okay. So there's a couple different ways that I want to sort of tackle this because, again, I totally get it. This is an area that was, for me, very upsetting. And honestly, I'm not a very tidy person, right? I'm, I get it when someone's perfectly immaculate and then they marry someone and it's a different standard. But we're pretty similar. And I still felt like, why is this on me? Why is this falling on me? And I'll even say more. I'll even say that from the beginning, because we knew that we wanted to start a family pretty early in our marriage – we discussed and I told him that one of the things I really wanted was to be able to be the primary caregiver for my children. That was something that I wanted. And we explicitly discussed this, which, by the way, I highly, highly recommend um, whether you want to be working or you want to be a stay at home mom or like me, you want to work partially. I highly recommend having this conversation very explicitly and literally. It's really, really helpful and it's really saved us from a lot of headaches. Because we had that, I knew that this really was officially more my domain, meaning that was kind of the deal that we made was that he was going to have more responsibility for bringing in income and I was going to have more responsibility for cooking the food and managing the home and all of that. So I'm saying even for me, (laughs) who should have been, I'm not so type A with my space, I knew that this was my responsibility and I was still fuming. So I can only imagine those of you where you're both holding down full-time jobs, you maybe are very tidy and he's not, right? All There's so many other factors that can come in that make it even worse. So I can only imagine why this could be triggering you and I totally get it. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to talk to you about how thought work applies to dealing with housework. I want to also talk to you about some ideas of how we can see this differently. Two ideas that really for me were the biggest paradigm shifts in this area. Okay, so if I'm... Looking at what is my brain doing? Where is my brain going? This is something that we really want to pay attention to. And one piece that I am reiterating constantly for myself and for my clients and for my friends, for all of you, is that sometimes negative emotions feel more true or authentic than neutral or positive emotions. And this is more true than ever when it comes to the emotion of being offended. When we are offended, we feel justified in our thoughts and our feelings. It is the hardest for most of us to question our thoughts when we are coming from a place of feeling offended because we feel that there is a value that is deep inside of us that's being contradicted. And we don't even, honestly, let's, let's, be, let's be fair, we don't even think this value is deep inside of us. We think this value is, is literal and true like gravity, right? This is a value that all people should agree to. Whenever we're feeling offended, we feel like someone is breaking against a system. You clearly, you just, you don't have empathy. I'm offended by you. You're missing a key component of being a human being, right? When we're feeling offended, there's this concept that there is a truth in the world that I have access to and you are denying that truth. Okay, this is true for politics, this is true in our marriage, this is true on social media, wherever we're feeling offended, this is really what it's coming down to. So when you're feeling offended, this is one what I call one of those red flag emotions. Resentment is another really good one. These are extremely specific feelings. When you're offended, you're not confused about that, right? 
If you if I say to you offended, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not like sad, you know. Sad, it's like, well, there can be like sort of sleepy sad and there could be like crushed sad, right? Offended is really crystal clear. And so that's really helpful because offended is one of those emotions where you most need to question your thoughts. You first need to articulate, what am I thinking right now? And you second need to question, is that really true? When we're feeling offended about housework, and it sounds like such a small thing, but honestly, a lot of our negative emotions just come from the daily, day-to-day, running our life, living our life, and being with the people that we're closest to, right? So when we're feeling offended that, let's say, oh, here's one. When we were first married, I would get really offended when my husband would walk through a messy room. Okay, because I felt like since I, let's make it even worse, let's say I'm there trying to clean the room and I'm cleaning it and he walks, he comes home from work and he walks past me as I'm cleaning the room and he moves on to the next thing on his list. Okay, I was offended by that. Okay, and it was similar thoughts to what was submitted to the thoughts that were submitted on Instagram, which are, you know, what makes this my job? right? Why aren't you pitching in? You live here too. Some of this mess is yours. Some of those dishes are yours. What's the deal? Okay. And this is a really interesting one because for me, and I, and I again see this with other women, this is a layered emotion because offended was covering up an emotion of, do you not really care about me? Because if you cared about me, well, then you'd be seeing how hard I'm working and you'd want to come and help me. Okay, so that's a really uncomfortable and painful emotion, so I'm not going to go there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get offended. Yeah, a lot of us do, with, do this with anger. It's a little too complicated to be hurt or crushed, but it's pretty comfortable to be angry, honestly. <laughs> so what I want you to do, so let's say, let's take the situation of my husband passing me while I was cleaning in a messy room. This would apply to, you know, you're doing the dishes and he doesn't volunteer to help or the garbage is full and he's not taking it out, whatever the thing is. Oh, let's see, he drops something on the floor. Like he drops his dirty laundry on the floor and, you know, the basket, the hamper is right over there. So what you want to do is you're going to notice that feeling offended and you're going to stop and say, okay, that's my red flag. I have offended going on for me. And now I want to know that whatever I'm attached, whatever is making me offended is the thought, the interpretation that I'm having about this, right? Because all my husband did was walk through a room. That's all he did. But I layered so much meaning on him walking through the room, right? It had to do with how much he loved me, how much he cared about me. It had to do with his his basic assumptions about the jobs between men and women. And, you know, my value as a woman, there was so much that I layered onto the action of walking through the room that I became offended. So what you want to do is you want to really articulate, like, what what is offending me? What is it about what just happened that's getting me so upset, that's getting me feeling offended, Okay. So let's say I say because he thinks that it's my job and that it's beneath him to help. So I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say like, okay, well, how is it that he doesn't think it's my job? All right. So the best thing, and this is one, you know, I've, I've said to you before, you just turn it on its head and ask it as a question. You do this before you know the answer. Okay. But as soon as I say that, my brain is going to come up with answers because it's the amazing thing about your brain. I heard someone refer to the brain today as a search engine. Put something in and stuff will come out, right? So I'm going to look at the thought and I'm just going to flip it. It's such a simple tool. How does he not think this is my job? Okay. And then I'm going to go, well, because last Wednesday he helped, right? Whenever I ask him to help me clean up, so he does, right? He does help me. He doesn't say that's your job and why would you ask me to do that? And I can also question the other one. He thinks it's beneath him. Well, how does he not think it's beneath him? Well, he does other yucky jobs in the house, like he takes out the garbage or he does, you know, fixes the clogged toilet or whatever it is. So he can't, you know, he does things. He doesn't, he's not holding himself high and mighty. He really does get his hands dirty and keeping this house running. Okay, my brain's going to come up with answers. Obviously, yours are going to be different than mine. So that's how you want to deal with the thought work piece of it. Now, I, I probably should have said this in the beginning, but I'm asking a lot of you. I know that I am. Offended is one of the hardest ones to question. It's extremely vulnerable to question something that we're feeling offended about. And your brain is going to put up a lot of defenses. It really wants to hang on to offended. And I think that the reason is that offended does really layer on top of 
emotions of vulnerability a lot of the time. I know that some of you might be listening to this and thinking, well, easier said than done, right? Those are your examples, but my examples are way worse. You have no idea how offensive this is. So I just want to invite you to just try because nobody has to know. (laughs) And you can go right back to being offended. You can continue to believe any thoughts you want. But what I want you to have the experience of, what is so liberating is to see your thoughts as something outside of yourself. You are the command center. And you have the choice of deciding which thoughts you want to attach to and which thoughts you want to let go. And if at some point you decide that it's just not worth your energy to be offended about this issue anymore, you'll know that that's available to you because you once questioned that thought. So again, the tool, all I'm offering you for the tool, it's a simple, simple tool, is feel the feeling, think about where you're feeling that feeling, articulate the thought that you're having, why are you feeling that way, and then flip it and ask it as a question. Now I want to offer you a couple tips for how you could see this differently. Now this work comes from Alison Armstrong, who if you have not listened to her, if you have not learned from her, please immediately (laughs) get to know her. You will just fall madly in love with your husband in a whole new way. Um, My tips for Allison's work would be to start with her books, Keys to the Kingdom and The Queen's Code. So I want to offer you two things that I learned from her. Um, These, for my listeners who are Jewish, these are very, very much in line with Jewish thought. Allison is not Jewish, but I'm going to sort of give you where those come from in Jewish thought also. So the first one is Allison talks about the difference between single focus and diffuse awareness. Okay? Single focus is seen as a masculine form of attention. And again, all of us have a mix of masculine and feminine, but most commonly women are primarily feminine and most men are primarily masculine. However, women are often increasing their masculine energy because that really is what's rewarded in the world these days. So single focus means I have a goal, I have an objective, and I'm going to get it. Okay, when I think back at all the times where my husband didn't spontaneously start cleaning, it's because he had a different goal at that moment. And what happens, and she actually says that his brain is automatically filtering out extraneous information. So when my husband was walking in the door and passed me cleaning the messy room, it's because he had a single focus. He was going from the mailbox to the filing or to his laptop where he could pay a bill, right? His focus was his brain was removing all the extra information that would interfere with him accomplishing his goal. This is a masculine energy. I'm going to focus on one thing. I'm going to focus on it for a very long time. Now, again, I exude masculine energy when I'm coaching because I'm extremely focused on that, right? When I'm teaching, we all have times where we're in this zone, but that is called single focus. In Judaism, we refer to this as das. It's known as sort of a male form of attention or thought, And then women, Allison says, experience more diffuse awareness. And the example that I always give for that is that if you think to, you know, a high school or a college class where you were sitting there and you were painfully aware that there was one person in the room who was either very upset or very angry, okay? I can imagine that scenario. I remember that scenario, right? That's a very familiar scenario for me. When I share that with my husband... He looks at me and he's like, well, why, why are you paying attention to that person, right? He, like, he hasn't really experienced that unless the person is sobbing in the corner and distracting him, you know, because why? Because if he's sitting there in class, he is either actively paying attention to the teacher or he's actively not paying attention to the teacher and paying attention to something else. He's not scanning the room, okay? And the female attention in Judaism called Bina is about scanning the room. I'm scanning the room for like, How are we all doing emotionally? How are we all doing physically? What's on the floor? What throw pillow should be adjusted, right? What's my to-do list? There's this constant, we call it multitasking, but it's not, but it's sort of the prerequisite to multitasking. I'm aware of all the things. And the way Allison says it is that when there's a mess in the room, it's as if those things are yelling at you. They are accusing you that a better woman would have cleaned it up already, yeah? So this is why my husband and I share an office and when it's messy, I, even though I choose to do other things with my time, I feel upset. I feel, I feel accused by the mess in the office 
And I don't know if my husband notices. I don't know if he actually knows that it's messy as long as he can find whatever he needs. Why? Because when he's in the office, he's never there just to be there. He's there to get a specific task done and then he leaves. So he's not scanning. He's not aware. His brain is not making him aware. Now, this isn't a he's clueless type of thing. It's a different operating system. It's a different mode of being in the world. And it has some amazing benefits, by the way. What does this mean when it comes to you and housework? I mean, it's a little bit obvious. One is that the housework for many women is like a pot simmering about to boil over, right? (laughs) Whatever's going on in the house is just shy of being a total disaster. And that doesn't really matter how, how messy or clean it is, right? It just needs to be fixed and it needs to be fixed pretty urgently and there's just a lot of pressure and there's a lot of stress from our physical environment. Why? Because as Allison says, it's accusing us, it's yelling at us, it's distracting, you know, and there's a lot of studies now on minimalism and talking about how minimalism can decrease anxiety and it can increase focus and that makes so much sense to me because how can you really focus when there's something in the corner that like really should just be moved a little bit? And sometimes we will. We'll stop what we're doing and we'll go fix something. The house that I live in right now has a laundry room right next to the kitchen. It's such a classic example of diffuse awareness because I'm always halfway through a load of laundry, halfway through cooking a meal, and halfway through doing the dishes, right? Plus, you know, taking care of the kids or whatever else is going on because this is classic diffuse awareness. And then we ask our husbands, could you make dinner? And then we're like, well, how come you're not also feeding the baby? Like, she's clearly upset. She's clearly hungry. Yeah? But what is going to happen is dinner's going to get on the table. (laughs) And this is the amazing thing about single focus. This is why when there's a task that needs to be done that I know will never be the top of my priority list, what I do is I ask my husband to take it over. I really want this mirror hung up right there. Can that be a job on Sunday that you do? And then how can I make space for you? What do you need so that you could do that job? And he'll tell me. He'll say, I, I need there not to be other things for me to be responsible for. If I'm dealing with tools, I need you to be taking care of making sure the kids aren't going into my toolbox and getting hurt, whatever the things that, thing is that he needs. But what I know is that because he has single focus, he's not just going to get distracted. He might give up on this project and go move on to something else, but he's not going to just get distracted the way that I do. And that's awesome because some of those things wouldn't happen in my house if it wasn't for that. Now, I know that you're saying, well, my husband was an adult before we got married and the trash got taken out before. It's not like he was living in a complete trash heap. So what's the deal? There's a lot to be said for this, but one thought that I want to offer you is the point at which you think the trash should be taken out is a thought and not an objective reality. It could be that when he was living on his own, he would let the trash get really all the way full and overflowing. He would even pile a couple of trash bags before he made the trip out to the, you know, outside trash container, right? His decision about where it needs to be taken out, it would have spoken to him possibly further down the line than when it's speaking to you. Welcome back, ladies. I think this is the first time we've ever done a two-part episode, so... I guess that just goes to show how much you had to say and I had to say about housework, which I guess is fair, right? We spend a lot of our time on this, so let's feel good about it. <laughs> That's going to be my, my vision for this. Let's just, why, what, if, what if we just had a totally positive relationship to all the housework? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, what if we were just, we just had nothing to complain about? We still did it. Because why are we complaining, right? Why are we feeling bad about it? Housework isn't inherently bad. Housework is neutral. So what if we just felt awesome about it? And I don't mean like it doesn't you don't have to be 50s housewife. But what if like every time you had clothes to clean, you're just like, wow, I have clothes to wear. Or I don't know, it doesn't have to be gratitude. There's lots of ways to feel good about stuff. I learned recently, Alison Armstrong talks about this, but John Gray does. I actually learned it from John Gray originally. He's the one who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. But his newer book, Beyond Mars and Venus, goes very in-depth into hormonal changes for men and women, hormonal differences in men and women, and specifically how women's hormones shift throughout her cycle and how that makes her sort of available for different stages of the relationship. It's really fascinating work. But one piece that I absolutely love 
is that when women are very results-oriented, they're burning up their testosterone, right? They're using up their testosterone. So if they have a job or they're doing anything where they're really trying to get a specific result, and that can be a stay-at-home mom, right? She's trying to get her kids to school on time and to get a certain dinner on the table. We can, we can do that in a very, you know, testosterone-driven way, a results-oriented way. So if we're doing a lot of that, then we use up a lot of our testosterone and what he recommends to balance it is to work on activities that increase oxytocin, which are, it's the bonding hormone. And so calling a girlfriend can do that. There's a lot of different things that can do that. But one that is really surprising is slow rhythmic hand motions, such as folding laundry or washing a dish. This totally, like, I just, I crack myself up. I think I'm hilarious. And so like every time I have to wash dishes, I'm like, this is just my oxytocin therapy happening right now. I have a totally different relationship with washing dishes. So if that isn't proof that you can feel differently about housework, I don't know what's going to be proof. But if you need something a little bit more technical, I've got four things today that I want to talk to you about to sort of help shift this concept of the the relationship aspect of the housework, not the actual doing it, but but how do I feel like I have a partner in the housework, especially if I am the one that feels like I have a higher standard than my husband, or I'm always asking him for help, and I don't like that feeling. It gives me the heebie-jeebies to be asking for help because we both live here and we're both adults, so why do I have to do that, right? We talked a little bit last week, and if you didn't listen to the last episode, episode 25, about how our brains are wired differently in terms of how we view our surroundings for men and women. And that's definitely worth listening to if you haven't yet, because I'm not going to go back into that so much, but it is really important to understand that the things that are driving you crazy, it's possible he's not making an active choice not to see it. He's actually, his brain is filtering it out. When you expect someone to take the initiative to pick up a sock that he doesn't see, can you see how you're driving yourself crazy, like for no reason? <laughs> so go ahead and listen to last week's if you didn't yet. Okay, before I get started on these four things, I want to thank you because I don't know how so many people are finding out about this podcast so quickly, but we are beyond thrilled and excited and grateful and just totally jazzed about how fast this podcast is growing. It has way exceeded our expectations. Again, we have no idea really what's going on, but the only thing I can guess is that you you must be sharing it. So thank you so, so much for sharing it. And please keep sharing it. And I've got my wish list now of guests that I want to have on the podcast. So my request for you is if you haven't gone and rated with five stars, please, and reviewed, like actually write, written out a review for the podcast, I know it's a little bit annoying, but I also know that when people are deciding where to spend their dedicated podcast interview hours, they do go check into the podcasts that have put in requests. So I'm thinking if we have a lot of really awesome reviews and fabulous ratings, then of course they're going to want to come on First Year Married, which would be so cool. I've got some awesome people on my dream list. So please go do that if you haven't done it yet. Okay. So last week, I promised to get into this whole piece of why we talk about guys helping with housework, right? Ugh helping. Why is he helping me? And I wanted to give you some insights into how you can reach partnership when it comes to the housework. We want, what do we want, right? We always want to start with like, what is the vision? What is the goal? My goal when I'm dealing with this is I want to feel like we're in this together. That makes me feel supported. It makes me feel loved and cared about, right? That I have someone who's in it with me. I'm not on my own left to battle the evil laundry pile, right? Like I've got a partner here. So the first piece, I'm going to bring in some Alison Armstrong because she is the expert when it comes to this and the best in terms of this paradigm, this this par- sort of paradigm shift, which is that the way she says it is that men are inherently providers, okay? What does that mean? That means that he's always looking for what does it provide? What What is she getting out of it? What am I providing? What am I creating? What is the result? Okay, I talked just a second ago about how results are the very testosterone driven, right? If we use our testosterone to get results, so it would make sense that men are more naturally, they have so much more testosterone than women, they're more naturally in that phase, okay? So he's in a phase where he wants to provide. To be quite frank, when I'm cleaning my house, I'm not looking to provide a clean house for my family. 
I wish I was. That sounds lovely. That's like sounds like something that, you know, would be nice <laughs> to feel like. What I'm trying to do is to get it to just stop bothering me, right? My house is bothering me. The mess is bothering me. The mismatched chairs are bothering me. The old kitchen cabinets, right? Whatever the thing is, it's bothering me and I want it to stop bothering me. That's where I'm coming from. Now imagine if you're similar to me on this one, if you can relate to this, imagine if nothing bothered you about the space you were living in. What if it wasn't bothering you? Now, 90% of you just went and imagined yourself inside like an HGTV show at the end, right? That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) What I mean is you're in the exact same house as it looks right now, and it doesn't bother you. I mean, my brain breaks a little bit to imagine that. That's how my husband experiences our space. Unless there is an actual problem, like there are now bugs in the house or the trash bag is leaking on the floor or there's a problem that now he has to deal with that is now going to take up more of his time, it doesn't bother him. So he's not going to be motivated the same way that I'm motivated to clean. Okay? So what does that mean? If he's a provider... And he's not bothered by the house. So why would he help me with the house? And you see, I I did use the word help. I did use the word help because you know why? The house isn't bothering him. It's not a problem for him. Now, if you're talking about dinner needs to be on the table and he looks at his plate and it's empty. So now he has a problem and he's going to go create dinner, right? He's going to go provide dinner. But right now he's in a house that is functioning. Nothing is actively breaking or getting, you know, destroyed. But it's driving you up the wall and he doesn't even know that there's a problem, right? Because there's not a problem, by the way, right? Go back to the thought work. There's no problem. It's just all your thoughts about the space is creating the problem. So you're in a house that's totally neutral. You've decided or not actively decided because this just sort of happens for a lot of us. You, You call it a mess. There are things in your house and to you they are a mess and to him there are things in a house. Yeah? So the way for him to be involved, to be motivated in the housework is to help. Why? Because if he's a provider, then he needs to be creating a result that's helping someone. He needs to be creating a result that is giving. I like to remind my clients and you that if we wanted, if we married someone who was exactly like us, who functioned exactly like us, right? Who did see the socks on the floor or the throw pillow that was off or whatever it is, or the the old kitchen cabinets, We would have done better to have married a clone of ourselves, but we wouldn't have done better to marry a clone of ourselves because if you married someone who functioned exactly like you, there would be no room for you to grow and develop and work on yourself and become a person who can see the world in a totally different way. And you can have that if you allow him to be a person who functions differently than you do. What do we think when we hear this whole thing, he's helping me? We interpret that helping as meaning it's my job and and I'm using up my points for him to help me, right? That's how it feels like from a feminine perspective. If he's helping me with the housework, what that means is it must be my job because otherwise he's not helping, right? It's my job and and I'm, I'm sort of trading in. So now I'm somehow obliged to him in some other way right? Because I'm, I'm asking for his help. So now he gets to ask me for my help because to be frank, that's kind of how we are in a lot of our, our, our relationships, right? But that's not how he sees it. How he sees it is there are things in the house, but to my wife, it's called a mess and it's bothering her. And if you allow for it, right? If you're not already jumping down his throat that he's not cleaning it up or that he's not supporting you or he's not helping you, But if you allow for it, he can have a clear result of, I can fly in and be the hero. I can give my wife a gift. I can help her. I can do something to show that I love her. That is a result that is motivating to somebody who is a provider, to somebody who is focused on results. All right. For more on this, please go check out Alison Armstrong, her first two books, Queen's Code and Keys to the Kingdom. They are linked in last week's show notes. I can put them in this week as well. Um, And you will get a much bigger picture. This is just a very small taste of that whole concept. But I do want to say that in Judaism, we actually have the same concept. 
which I think is really cool. We talk about it a little bit differently. This is sort of in the realm of Kabbalah, which I am not even remotely qualified to talk about teaching, let alone teach. Okay, but from what I understand of this, but there's this idea of mashpia and makabal, which means a mashpia is a giver. A mashpia is a teacher. Right now, I am being mashpia. I am giving over information in this form of a podcast. And a makabal is the receiver. So right now, those of you who are listening are being makabal or or not, but ideally, right? You are receiving the information. What you do with it is up to you, but you are receiving, you're hearing it, you're listening to it, okay? They are seen as a masculine and feminine form. Now, as evidenced by the fact that I'm female and I am right now being mashpia, a female can do the masculine action of mashpia and a man can do a feminine action of being makabal, right? So this isn't man and woman. This is masculine, feminine. And what's interesting is that the very basics of it is that the relationship between the two is that one can only be mashpia if someone is being makabal. I can sit here and talk into a microphone all day long. I'm not being mashpia. I'm not being a teacher or or a giver if there is nobody listening on the other side, right? What this means for our marriages, and you know, this is if you're Jewish or not, it's just another approach, another take on this, is that if a person can only provide where someone is receiving, and I would want to even say graciously receiving, then whatever you want your husband to provide, you have to be willing to receive. And this can be really hard for some of us because some of us have been raised to to idealize being independent, okay? And we get confused about receiving as an independent person. And the example that I love that was given in some class that I took once upon a time, and I wish I knew who it was so I could credit her or him. The example is the Queen of England, okay? The Queen of England is independent in that she is self-sufficient. Nobody questions her or wonders if she's weak, okay? She's not a weak person. And so when she receives something, she is receiving as a queen, She can graciously receive. She can be excited or show gratitude for the thing that she's receiving without it weakening her, okay? Is she a damsel in distress looking to be saved? No. Is she able to receive? Absolutely. So this is the kind of macabre that we're talking about. We're not talking about, I can't make any money for myself, so can my husband please bring some home for me? Or I can't do anything on my own, so I need him to come in and rescue me. Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that if my husband washes the dishes... And I think to myself, great, of course, like that's what he should have done. I wish he'd done it earlier. I'm not being macabre, which means it's not, he's not able to give it to me. Okay. He's not, it's not a gift. It's not a, I'm not receiving it. Okay. And since that will shut down that flow, it means that it's less, it's harder for him to now continue to do that. Okay. So I think there's, it's really fascinating to me. It's why I'm sharing all this, that the overlap it has with Alison Armstrong, because here we have someone who came in and started researching by asking men about their experience of being men and why they do things, right? What motivates them? And then we have this centuries-old tradition of how things are in the world spiritually, and the two of them align so beautifully. So that's why I wanted to share that. But again, this is one where if if I only gave you a taste of what Alison Armstrong has to say, I am giving you the a molecule of a taste of what Kabbalah has to say and the whole concept of masculine and feminine, male and female in Judaism. So if that is something that you're interested in, um, there are people much more qualified than me to teach it. Okay. Number three. So that's number one and two. Provider, receiver, mashbia, makabel. Number three is that we tend to choose the standard. The women, us ladies, we tend to be the ones to choose if it's done or not, Right? what we're judging our house against. When we look at the house and it's not the way it should be, we are the ones that have a concept of what's wrong, okay? Now, this is for, I see a couple different reasons for this. Number one could be that a lot of us feel like the house that we're living in or our home or our apartment, it, that it feels like it's a reflection on us or a reflection on how we're doing in life. I know that for me, my kitchen, if it's out of control, I feel like I'm out of control. I'm, I get very distracted. It's harder for me to focus. It's harder for me to pre- produce results in my life. It, it, I spend a lot of time in my house, so that's different. But, you know, when I was working and I was teaching in elementary school, it was my desk. If my desk was together, my day would go smoothly. If my desk was a mess, I didn't feel on top of things. So 
so so we sort of have this relationship of it being a sort of representation or a reflection on us as people or how we're doing. And I want to say that I don't know if there's some of that that is inherent in the masculine and feminine, or if that's entirely the way that we raise women, the way we talk to women, just the societal expectations. And the truth is that it doesn't matter to me, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm trying to take us as we are now and get us the goal, get us to the goal, get us to the vision of where we want to be. So I will leave to somebody else to worry about why we got to where we are now. I don't think it matters. I think if I see my house's reflection on me and how I'm doing, I don't really care if that's because that's the way I was raised as a little girl or if that's because of my genetics. That's the situation I have and that I need to work with. So that was the second thing that I wanted to say, which is we don't really know where it's coming from, but if we're the one that is setting the standard, okay, we're deciding there's this kind of concept that the woman is in charge, like the house is a reflection on her. Again, we don't know where that's coming from. And it could be that in certain houses, that's very clearly not the case, right? And people tell you that the husband designs it and that's fine. But for a lot of us, this is what we're struggling with is that we feel that the outside world also agrees that our space is a reflection on the woman. And then the last one I want to say, which is, if it's your standard, so be honest with yourself, are you the one that's deciding when it's clean? Are you the one that decides that it's dirty? Or do you check with your husband and say, is it time to clean? Do you think it's messy? So if you're the one deciding, then that means it's your project. Okay? So if he were to come home and decide that the whole family isn't healthy enough and needs to give up sugar and flour, then it wouldn't be fair for him to say, and now it's time for you to start cooking to my expectations. No, right? You, you would be helping him, right? If you were cooking dinner and you were doing it according to his sugar and flour rule. So you would be helping him because it would be his project. He set the standard. It's his project. So if you are the one that's setting the standard in your house, that means it is your project, which frankly means if he's getting involved, he's just doing it to help you. I like this one because this is very separate from gender. It doesn't matter who's the guy, who's the girl. Just be honest about who's the one that's setting the standard. Be honest about who is the person that it's bothering. Who's the one who decides, fine, you're both bothered when the house is a total mess. But if it needs to be cleaner for you than it needs to be for him or vice versa, then the person who's pitching in just to get to the standard of the other person is helping. And you know what? Then you get to be grateful for it. Then you get to feel partnered with. But you can't expect someone to help you without asking for their help, without being grateful for their help right? It doesn't even mean reciprocity. It doesn't mean you need to give something back. It can just be a great big smile or a hug or a thank you so much that did so much for me. Now I can move on with my week because everything's put away. If it's your standard, it's your project. And so be grateful for any help that you get. The last tool that I want to give you about this, which is one that I learned the hard way, meaning this is one that I learned from my relationship from my husband explaining to me his experience of being a husband married to me, more than I learned from my research, which is that a specific result or vision is motivating. Already being behind the bar is not. Now, this goes for men and women. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency when I'm cleaning a room that I think that all I need to do is, you know, let's say I'm in my room and I just need to put away the clothes that are on the bed. I go and put the clothes away on the bed and then I'm like, oh my gosh, but the counter of my dresser, the top of my dresser is covered. I need to go through that and make sure that everything is, you know, get things put away and declutter and throw things out. Then I go to throw things out and the garbage can is full. So I need to take out the garbage, right? So in the, I lied to myself essentially, right? I went in saying all I need to do is X and then Y and Z popped up because the more that I cleaned, the more the standard went up of what needed to be done. You just start noticing things when things get cleared off. That's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be hard on myself for that, but I do need to be honest about that. When articulating what it is that you're looking for, two things need to happen. So specifically when we're dealing with housework, okay? One is you need to be really honest about when you'll be happy. And this might mean two things. So I've said to my husband, I grew up in a family that loves boating. And so I said, you know, I want my house to be like a boat. Everything that we own should have a place where it goes. If it doesn't have a place, I don't want to own it. Right. And to him, he was like, what? <laughs> this is craziness. What are you talking about? OK, so we haven't gotten to my standard yet, but at least now I know what my standard is. That is my standard. So I know that unless we are going to send the children away for the next six months and work exclusively, you know, quit our jobs and hopefully it wouldn't take six months. I don't know. Maybe Marie Kondo can come to us. But 
you know, a significant amount of time devoting ourselves exclusively to our home, if we're not going to be doing that, I'm not going to get what my standard really is. And the truth is, to be honest, even if everything was away, then I would start on home decorating. I really would. Then I would start to notice the couch needs to be like this and and this doesn't match and I don't really like that color, right? That's what would happen for me. That's the way I function. I'm not saying all women are that way. So what I've had to learn to do is to actually, I I write it out on paper. If we have jobs in the house and usually be a Sunday, we'll write out the jobs that we're trying to get done and I will write it down because then I know that if I'm now going back and saying, oh, also the counter needs to be cleared, I have to write it on the list and then I know, okay, I'm adding to a list that's already been agreed upon. That's not fair. Okay. So sometimes I'll be like, can I just squeeze this little one in and I'll get away with it? But but it definitely keeps me on track. It keeps me from going and adding one thing after another, after another, after another. Because what used to happen is we would have specific amount of time that he had offered to help me with the house. Help me. Yes. Because it, it wasn't bothering him. And we would be working on it together and we'd be doing all this stuff together. And I just kept adding to it right? There, it was a never-ending bottomless pit of things that needed to be done. And what that means is he could never get a win, right? And, you know, we've all had that experience, whether it was in work or in school, where everything that you did, the bar just kept getting higher and you could never get that win. If you want someone to help you with anything, you have to be willing to say, this is the bar and you can get a win. That's why I love as a teacher when you use grading rubrics, this is how you get your grade. It's not personal. Check off all these boxes and you will get 100, right? We sort of want to have the same thing with the people in our lives. Why do grading rubrics work? Because it motivates people to know how they're being judged. There was a study a little while ago, a couple years ago, about what was the biggest cause of job dissatisfaction. And it was not knowing how they were performing, not knowing how they were being judged at work, right? So all the more so in our homes where we're even more dedicated, it's more important you got to know if you're trying to get somebody to help you with something, this is when I will consider it 100. Yes. Do I have my perfect, you know, better homes and gardens house? No. But the job that I asked you to do, perfect, 100%, exactly what I needed. Thank you so much. I do want to get into quickly, what do you do if you feel like you are just bearing the brunt of the housework? Okay, because I'm talking to you about an approach, a sort of way of looking at it. All right. But what happens if, let's say, you both work 40-hour weeks and you are doing 90% of the housework and he's doing practically none? I want you to start with where we are. What is your standard? Own that you are the one choosing the standard in the area that you are, right? If you don't want to own the standard, that's very simple. You can just sit down with him and say, can we just have a conversation about what the house should look like, what we consider baseline, you know, what do you need? What do I need? And we'll just put it down on paper and we'll both agree to make sure that we have that. And when do you agree? Do you agree that you have that, you know, you get to that point when you finish dinner before you move on to relaxing for the evening? Is that what you need? He might say to you, actually, you know what? I'm so burned out. I'm, I come home, I'm starving and, and I haven't sat and zoned out. And what I need to do is just turn on the TV and watch for an hour or open a book and read it for an hour. And then I will have the energy to get there. So, So listen to what he has to say and tell him, try, this is even harder, try and figure out what you need, right? What do you need in terms of your day? When would this be good? Okay. And the two of you can sit down and you can make a deal. This is the standard that we're looking for. This is what I need to have the fuel, the energy to be able to do that kind of thing. And then, and talk it out. So you're going to sit down together. And the reason I wanted to start with all of this thought work and all of these perspectives on how men and women can be different and the concept of him helping and, and you know, and letting him have a, a, a specific goal is my hope is that what that would have done for you is that if you have resentment from the way things have been going, we can get to a place of maybe this has more to do with not understanding what's going on. Maybe this has more to do with not understanding how the two of us function differently. And it wasn't him saying, you do it. It's your problem, not mine. You're not important enough for me to help, right? Or or for me to care, or I'm just a slob, or whatever things that we, you know, put in the thought bubble above his head as he didn't wash the dishes that so clearly were screaming to be washed. We can move on from that and say, this that was a misunderstanding. So now when I sit down with him and say, I want to get to a place, remember, set the vision, set the goal for yourself. I want to get to a place where the house looks like X five days of the week. Five out of seven days of the week, it looks like X, Y, Z. 
dishes are always cleaned and put away at the end of the night. I'm, I'm not doing laundry. I'm doing cooking. You have your vision. You have your needs. He has his needs. And you're coming at it from a spirit of partnership, not from I've already been burned by you. I've already been hurt by you. But I trust you that if I sit and I listen and I hear what you have to say and I respect your needs and you say I need to veg out on the couch for an hour before I can help with the housework and that's valid, even that's not play video games, right? Whatever it is. I don't understand that. That's not my thing. But if that's what you need, it's valid. And you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, I need one night a week where I don't do anything in the kitchen. Let yourselves help each other with that. All right. My final point which is, and I said, I alluded to this in the last episode, which is that if you listen to the two of these, and I don't know why you listen to them if this wasn't an issue, but if you listen to both of these episodes thinking, my husband is immaculate, he always puts things away, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. This isn't, this is, I'm only listening to understand what other women deal with and not me. Okay. So it could be very, very possible that He's the one setting the standard, and so he's going to go and get it, right? He wants things to be put away immediately. He doesn't like seeing jobs in the form of things around the house, and so he wants things put right away so he can move on with his day. Fine. That would be great. It could also mean that he's been sort of, quote unquote, well-trained, right? That he has been given this as a standard in the form of shame, of it's bad if you don't. Okay, if that's the case, this means that what he's not able to do is do any of this from a place of providing. Okay, if he's keeping the house clean because there's a shame element in, by the way, this is the same for you. If you're keeping a neat house or cooking elaborate meals or keeping yourself in shape to a certain standard or working yourself to the bone in your job because of shame, which means because you're feeling that this is what gives you value, not that you have inherent value, but you need to do these things so that you have value, then you aren't doing it for your husband. You aren't doing it to give or to relate. So the same for him. And it also means you're not doing it for yourself. You can't go to the gym to take care of yourself because you have to be a size two to be worthwhile. That's not, you can't, you just can't do both at the same time. So when you do some of this work, you spend some time thinking about what drives you, what motivates you, and hearing the same thing from him, it can be extremely powerful. And then if you can get to the point where when he's doing that, he's helping in the house or whatever, and he is able to provide for you, he is able to give for you because he understands that his value is there regardless of what the house looks like, regardless of how helpful he is, regardless of what he looks like or what you write for any for either of you so then now all of these actions that we're taking throughout our day can be forgiving they can be forgiving to ourselves forgiving to other people right it can be for a higher purpose when it's not coming from a place of you have to otherwise you are not worthwhile okay so i wanted to leave you on that note um i hope that this has been helpful for you if you sit down and you have this conversation with your husband i would absolutely love to hear about it um let me know how it goes let me know if you need to troubleshoot any of that and i will see you back here on this podcast next week take care hey there kayla here if you've been enjoying the podcast i want to invite you into my monthly coaching membership how to glow we take all the work here we focus on our marriages. We go much, much deeper into our expectations of our husbands, understanding our husbands, our intimate lives, everything that we don't discuss here on the podcast. And we even extend it out to anything else you want coaching on, your parenting, your finances, your health. Get ongoing support, live coaching, and access to my best courses for only $39 a month. I would love to have you join us. Sign up at kaylalevin.com forward slash coaching. Isn't this the best time to start?